for the love of money. Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. All right, a little Alex Lifeson on the neck. Hey, ripping it up this morning, 7 a.m. Good morning. Hi-Fi Radio coming at you. Please turn up your radio, get some coffee, get set for a jam-packed show of CanCon music. Yes, Canadian content music. It's all about meeting our requirements here in the broadcast world of providing good Canadian content. So Jack and I are going to go over the top on that front. Throughout our guest lineup, we're going to be talking to Simon Ackett, a Canaccord Managing Director, Global Head of Energy Sales, hence Salesman in Spirit of the Radio. Uh, we are then going to move over to Devai Ghosh, uh, Global Head of Equity Research at Canaccord, Head of Strategic Development. Uh, again, we're going to be talking to him about development in uh, the broadcast world uh, as Netflix is about to spend $500 million on CanCon, uh, and yet media spends a little bit more than that. Uh, followed by a trip to London with Michael Quatch, one of our senior analysts. And we're going to round the show up with Ron Meisels, president and founder of Phases and Cycles, a technical analyst, a uh, friend of ours out in Montreal. So without further ado, uh, this morning, let's welcome Simon Ackett to the show. Simon, thank you for joining us. Wolfgang, Jack, thanks for having me. So, Simon, you uh, you have a wonderful resume because, uh, again, you are a salesperson. Um, in fact, I worked at the Spirit of Radio, uh, CFNY, back in the day. So I, I like to think that Getty wrote that song about me because I was a salesman. I was a radio salesperson. So Absolutely. That's who, that, Works that's who, for me. That's what Getty's singing about there. Right, Jack? I guess so, Wolf. All right. <laughs> but is, but uh, the on your resume here, I, you, you are a oil or an, a petroleum engineer. Uh, kudos to you on that front. That must have been a wonderful education, learning all about that. Uh, was. It was fun in the classroom, but it was really fun on the rigs, too, learning, uh, learning the operations firsthand. Do you do the rig counts for Jack? When Jack gives me rig counts, is it you actually out there in the fields with your boots on counting them? Thank God someone else grabs the data for me, but yes, it's uh, someone is out there counting rigs. Is that something that you follow in terms of uh, determining where we're at in the cycle there, Simon? Well, it's interesting you bring that up, Jack. Um, rig count is a traditional measure that everyone's used to, to measure level of activity. Right. But that's changing. And it's changing because what's happening underground is getting far more complex than what we used to see. So one rig represents now thousands or kilometers of, uh, of drilling that are happening underground in these horizontal wells or these multilaterals. So one rig doesn't necessarily represent just one straight wellbore. Now, you know, you're drilling all over the place underground. So rig count's becoming less relevant, but it's a starting metric. And that's just because of the productivity, I guess, of each rig compared to what they used to be, right? Absolutely. When you drill all those meters underground, uh, you end up having these very high productivity wells and it requires less rigs to give you the same production. You know, it's amazing because the technology, uh, you, you, you've you witnessed it change uh, in, in the oil patch, correct, in the last 20, 25 years. So let's talk a little bit about that change because you're talking you know, about oil rigs and the productivity of them. But right. uh, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I've been looking at uh, some of the data on the rail stocks, and a key category for them is sand, frack sand. That's and right. So, That's again, right. who, who would have thought mm-hmm. sand would have become a valuable commodity in the oil space? That's right. Well, we, as you drill these big wells underground, you're fracking them. And fracking means you're cracking the rock and you need to keep it open with sand to get that productivity. So as you drill more and more of these wells with these bigger and bigger flow rates, you're putting more and more sand into the wells. So in Canada, we put a fair amount of sand into these wells. But in the U.S., it's another, it's an astronomical number relative to Canada. So as Canada makes bigger and bigger decisions on bigger and bigger fracks, we're going to see more and more productivity from these wells. So technology has changed a lot, mostly on the fracking side. It's most apparent in the cost structure. Used to be 65% of the well cost was drilling it and 35% was fracking it and putting that sand, so to speak, in there. Now it's flipped. 
65% of the cost now is completions, and only 35% is drilling. So the real focus now is what's happening underground with these fracks. So you bring up a great point. There is thoughts that there's going to be a huge shortage of sand in 2019 in the U.S. A shortage of sand. Potentially. Specialized sand. Specialized sand right. for these fracks. Yeah, not, not the stuff you get at the beach, but similar. <laughs> um, the, the stuff over here at Coors Cherry Beach wouldn't work? No, this stuff sugar is, beach. Little, is a sugar beach, Luke. This stuff's sugar a little beach. too fine. It's a little, it's a little more coarse than that. Huh. Uh, but it's the same concept. It is sand. Jack, didn't you buy some special sand, but they gave it a new name when you're doing your interlocking stone up in uh, Aurora? Yeah, high performance bedding, actually, for, for my interlocking. <laughs> That's per- not sand, but yeah, high Th- They're marketing rocks. Unbelievable, eh? Well, good for them. Yeah, I buy these bags of sand for my uh, son and daughter in their in their in the backyard in the little play area that we have, and you know, it costs ten bucks a bag. But the specialty sand can go and cost. You know, like I said, millions of dollars uh, of the well cost, but you're getting these massively productive wells. The problem is when you get a very high productivity well bore, it declines very quickly. So you're backfilling it. Like you're on this treadmill to always, you know, fill in that production. Yeah, decline rates, can, decline rates, one year decline rates can be what, 30, 40%? No, 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 no. Overall corporate decline rates on the average of all the wells is something like 30, 35% of some of these wells. But these Permian wells, these wells you hear about in the U.S., mm-hmm. like these shale plays, these U.S. shales, 80%, 90% the first in, year. In year one, unbelievable. Year one. And then it drops considerably after that. And so therefore to get the uh, uh, the flow back up, they have to continue to frack and add more sand? More sand, more wells, exactly. Huh. Exactly. So it becomes this treadmill. We, we see it all the time um, where these oil companies are drilling wells. They have these huge production rates. The second that you stop drilling, you get these big declines and you have to backfill that. And of course, investors want to see growth. Mm-hmm. So it's a constant treadmill. Are most of the stuff that you work on, Simon, is it U.S. ideas or Canadian ideas? Uh, only, almost exclusively Canadian ideas. But of course, the U.S. influences us considerably. Let me give you a good example. The Permian. This is the hottest play that has hit North America in the last 10 years. It's uh, in Texas. Uh, it's a, uh, what the, you know, the, the newspapers call the U.S. Uh, oil shales. And they're putting on these wells with these massive productivities. And it has become a fight between what OPEC can cut and what the U.S. shales can produce on the other side. And that's the battle. And that's how we're going to see oil prices go higher. If we can prove that the U.S. shales are declining quicker than we thought, then we're going to get a better balance of the oil markets and therefore stronger prices. All right. So, uh, Simon, we're going to pay some bills around here, but uh, after the break, can you give us a couple of your top picks? Sounds good to me. Look forward to it. All right, folks. Top up the cup of coffee. We're going to be back in just a few minutes. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. Uh, wakey, wakey, AM 640. Hi-Fi Radio coming at you, live and direct. Jack Hartle in the studio. And we have my good friend Simon Ackett, uh, Canaccord Genuity Managing Director and Global Head of Energy Sales. Yes, as we punch some more holes in the ground to get some crude, eh, Simon? So, Simon, I want we, we Jack and I have Rafi on air a number of times. Uh, Canoe Energy Fund. He's 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 considered one of Canada's best uh, energy portfolio managers, and uh, he's getting a lot less keen on Canada, much more interested in in, in uh, American oil and uh, international. Uh, 
plays uh, just due to the higher cost structure in Canada, the political landscape escape, uh, in, in Canada towards uh, energy. Uh, so how do you feel about this? How is this affecting your business as an energy sales trader up here in Canada? Uh, thanks, Wolfgang. Thanks, Jack. Uh, what's, ended, what's happened is pretty clear to me that um, Canada is popular when valuations are full in other parts of the world. So mm-hmm. the U.S. right now is on sale. The valuations of these stocks have fallen tremendously, and a U.S. investor has to make a decision between buying something in their backyard or buying something in Canada, something they're probably a little less familiar with. And right now, the valuation of these U.S. stocks is quite low. So they're more attracted to those types of stocks because they have big growth profiles. The Americans and the American U.S. oil companies tend to put a lot of money into the ground when the oil price moves up. So you get some big growth rates and a lot of momentum in those stocks. In Canada, I see more value. Uh, As the stocks in the U.S. start to become more fully valued, you're going to see a surge into Canada. The one exception, though, is we do have some unique things in Canada that the U.S. doesn't have. Like what? That that attracts Americans to come and Europeans to come invest in here. Mm -hmm. That's the oil sands. And believe it or not, a lot of people think the oil sands are one of the most expensive forms of production. They are not when you look at it on a full cycle basis. And the second thing is the Motney. Motney is considered to be one of the largest gas reservoirs that we've seen in a very long time, bigger than the Marcellus, which is what all the Americans focus on in terms of gas. Hmm. Just looking at the the oil sands, the Canadian oil sands, like you said there, uh, Simon, the environmental impact, so not just the cost. That's what people are focused on, I think. Uh, what are your views there? Well, there's no doubt that the impact is greater, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, digging these big mines. But that's what we see on the papers, these big mines. What we're seeing, though, is as we get further into the life of these, uh, these oil sands, we're not doing these open pit mines anymore. There's really none that are left that are new, except for one that's coming on this year with Suncor called Fort Hills. Now what they're doing is they're drilling these SAG-D wells, steam-assisted gravity drainage, SAG-D. And what you're doing is you're going after these same oil sands, but you're not disturbing the surface. You're mm-hmm. just drilling underground. You're putting heat and steam into one. And as you heat up the reservoir, the oil gets a little less viscous and you can produce that to the surface. So there will be less of an environmental impact going forward. And that, that's due to technology. We talked about technology innovation that's right. down that's in the right. U.S. And you're also getting it up here in Canada with the oil sands. Exactly right, Jack. So, right. so let's give us some of your uh, top ideas, uh, Simon. What's really exciting you right now? Well, I, got, I, got, I can break it into two two sectors or, or two subsectors. One is the mid-cap names. The names that have a lot of torque. And it happens to be that that stock is a company called Torque Oil and Gas. It, it's, it's cheap relative to its peers, but it has one of the most conservative balance sheets, one of the most conservative, consistent management teams. And what we're looking for when you're looking at Canadian stocks these days is consistency and you're looking for um, steady growth. Mm-hmm. Not outsized growth, but something steady and consistent. This company pays a dividend. Uh, its yield is somewhere between 4 and 6%. I don't know exactly what it is offhand. Uh, it's 4%, actually. And uh, we like the story because it has the best management team in the business. Hmm. And what another idea? Let's get a little bigger now. Synovus. Uh, that one's gotten a lot of press lately. I like that one because that has a little more uh, of a balance sheet uh, leverage is higher relative to the peer group. And that's great. When oil prices are going up and you own these names that have higher leverage, it's fantastic. The other thing is they said they sell some assets. The market was skeptical. Will they get the prices that they want? They beat us. They beat us on every front so far in terms of asset sale prices. Look forward to better and higher asset sale prices for this company. That's why we like it. Hmm. And it's the value name in the space. It's trading at seven times EV to debt adjusted cash flow. Peer group's about eight and a half. So Simon, uh, Synovus, um Today you had a big announcement. We talked about that, but uh, previously uh, be, at the beginning of the year, they made a big acquisition, buying some uh, some 
assets off ConocoPhillips, basically an international player leaving Canada. What do you think of those uh, that acquisition? Well, it's interesting. Uh, we've seen a lot of these international players leave the oil sands. To me, that's a positive thing. We've written in our research at Canaccord that now that the oil sands are back in the hands of the Canadians, we're going to see a lot more horse trading and a lot more aggressive development of these assets because we know them. We've grown up with them. Um, they did this deal. Uh, they increased their leverage uh, to oil and gas by buying a very oily asset, but unfortunately, they increased their leverage. They had one of the best balance sheets in the senior group, and now they have one of the more levered balance sheets of the group. So that was a concern for some investors, but overall, if they can delever, bring in a new CEO, and they're on the, they're on the hunt right now, and deliver on these asset sales, mm-hmm. this is going to outperform. Simon, a real pleasure having the studio with us this morning. Much appreciated. Go back to your family. Enjoy your weekend. Folks, coming up next, Canico Genuity's head of equity research, just to talk a little bit about the broadcasting world, Netflix versus old school, and who's going to pay the Canadians who have talent. We're going to find out about that right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. That's what I want. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. Ah, Good morning, Hi-Fi Radio, AM 640. Jack Hartle in the studio helping me out to give you some CanCon. Canadian content is what it's all about, so we're going to bring it in a high-fidelity fashion. And in fact, uh, we brought on a very, very learned individual, well-knowledged individual when it comes to uh, broadcast, Mr. Devai Ghosh, Canaccord Genuity's Global Head of Equity Research and Head of Strategic Development. Now, when I first met Devai, he, in fact, was uh, Canaccord's uh, telecom analyst, so he spent a lot of time inside the halls of Rogers and Bell and Chorus and the like, so he certainly does know this space. So, Devai, I want to thank you for coming on the show this morning. I want to thank you for your kind introduction. I should hire you as my agent. <laughs> I'm very expensive, Devai. Um, <laughs> so, Devai, uh, look, I used to work in broadcast. I used to work for C. In fact, I used to work for CFMY Radio, the spirit of radio, which is, of course, property, now Edge 102. Um, and inside the four walls, uh, nonstop complaining about the amount of can- CanCon uh, media must uh, support. Uh, when it comes to radio, it's about 35% of music radio in Canada has to pay, cl- pay Canadian songs. And as such, I've given you plenty of rush this morning. But that's, that's just their promise of commitment. Uh, when it comes to production, and specifically television, about a third of gross revenues are to uh, produce Canada content. Uh, up comes Netflix doing about $700 million of business in Canada, and now has made a $500 million commitment over the next five years to produce Canadian content. Sounds good as the headline, but when you drill down into it, that's a lot less than the traditional broadcasters have to commit to. Uh, So what gives? Well, the problem if you're a politician is this, all right? So traditionally, and even today, According to opinion polls, the concept of Canadian content has some popularity. And if you're a politician, then popularity is important if you want to win the next election. At the same time, things like Netflix are very, very popular. So if you look at the last Conservative government, they, to a certain extent, alienated the Canadian broadcasters, as you suggested earlier, by saying Netflix is not going to be regulated. They're allowed to broadcast without paying into Canadian content funds and so on. And quite rightly, to be honest with you, the traditional Canadian media properties said, well, what gives? We have to unprofitably invest in Canadian media 
and we're Canadian, and they don't have to ma- invest in Canadian media, and they're American. In <laughs> fact, they don't even have an office in Canada in order to arbitrage the rules. And if you remember, CRTC has had lots of hearings on the issue. And what Netflix said during the hearings when uh, Jean-Pierre Blay, who's now the outgoing CRTC chair, said to them, I demand this information, they said rather politely but sternly, we are under no obligation to provide you with any information. So clearly there's a dichotomy which is really based on the fact that these over-the-air uh, or rather, you know, online media services are increasingly popular, increasingly not Canadian, although people like uh, uh, Bell have their own crave service, but Rogers show, closed down Show Me, so this really is do- dominated by foreign carriers, and yet we have this Canadian content. So this was a compromise that came out of it, which, like all compromises, is inelegant. I guess it's good news if neither side liked it. But as you know, Quebec Corps, Bell, and others have already complained vociferously, to your point, saying that we have to pay much more than they have to pay, and they're much bigger than us. So this is the inelegant compromise that has come out of it. But the thing I find more interesting is this. When we were kids, Wolf, and in your case, it was a long time ago, it was easier (laughs) to administer Canadian content because it was very limited in terms of how we could consume content. Really, there was radio, and when you were about 20 years old, they invented TV, right? And then that was it. So you could control my content. Today, you have zero ability to control my content because most of us get our content from the Internet, and you can't block foreign websites and so on. So quite frankly, I find the whole concept to be not ridiculous, but ri- because the, the, the intention was ridiculous, but ridiculous because it's totally ungovernable. And quite frankly, you know, the Netflix compromise is based on the fact that they're so big that they can essentially invest this money without any impact of any materiality on their bottom line, their balance sheet, and so on. But ultimately, I'm going to go home tonight and watch whatever I want. So that, that then takes us to the next, the next question. So what happens with Facebook? What happens with Amazon and uh, uh, Google, who are now getting into, the, and Apple, they're all getting into the content business. Uh, are they going to have to write uh, Canadian uh, producers and, and uh, the likes uh, checks? Maybe. And for them, they're very small checks. You know how big these companies are. So if you want to placate the Canadian regulator by throwing the bone, that's fine. But more importantly, what does that mean for, you know, people like Bell, who's invested billions of dollars into this industry? And if you remember, when I used to cover Bell and they bought CTV and then Astral, there were many reasons why I thought those acquisitions were fundamentally unsound, including this one. You don't actually produce that much content of your own. For 100 years, the government's tried to subsidize your content, but you've really never produced anything that stand alone. Otherwise, you wouldn't need Canadian content rules. And now these foreign content carriers are basically blowing you out of the water. Now, having said that, there is some upside for the Canadian carriers. I assume that Netflix has to spend this money. And others may sign similar deals, to your point, like Facebook and Google and others. And they do have to spend that money. So, for example, DHX, which has been battered this week on some very weak results and so on, may actually be a key beneficiary because, you know, you've got to spend it. Presumably, you can do one of two things. You can build your own, your own content within Canada. Yeah. And there's lots of tax reasons why you should do that. And I'm sure you will continue to see that. A lot of programs made in Canada, as you know, mm-hmm. when you drive through the streets and you see New York cabs and New York uh, mm-hmm. police cars for movies. But they will also buy Canadian content from Canadian providers, I think. Terrific. Uh, Dubai, you're brilliant. You really are. Uh, <laughs> you, you did my job for me. I didn't have to ask a lot of questions. You, you're great. You're so articulate. I want to really thank you uh, for joining us this morning, and I want to wish you a wonderful weekend. That was Dubai Ghosh, Canico Genuity's Global Head of Equity Research. Coming up next, we're going to take a trip to London. 
hang out with Michael Quat. She's going to give us a global perspective on your money right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. What I really want to do there was sing and I live by the river, but I couldn't do it. Anyways, Hi-Fi Radio folks, good morning to you. Wolfgang Klein, your host. Jack Hartle, your co-host. Michael Quatch is on the line in London to give us a global perspective on our money. Good morning to you, Michael. Morning. Always a pleasure to have you on Hi-Fi Radio. So, Michael, from across the pond in the world of finance, uh, sorry, but what is your equivalent to Bay Street and Wall Street? Is it Bond Street in, in London? What's, what's, what's the name of your financial street? Uh, it's Wall Street. Uh, it's, it's the city of London. That's it. There's, there's no street for... Yeah, we, we have Wall Street no and Bay street. street, no? No. Oh, right. that's fine. It's the English way. It's your way. Uh, so, Michael, what's what, what are you seeing? What's on your radar? We, we've gotten through the month of September. Uh, good month. Uh, Jack and I made some handsome dollars for our clients. Uh, October is, you know, in front of us. That tends to be a little frightening for a few weeks, and then earnings start to come in, and hopefully we see some growth, and the market will then give us a little year-end rally with Santa Claus coming into town at the end of it. Oh, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, there's been some unusual pattern year to date, and we, you know, we've seen some normalisation uh, in the, you know, during the months of September. Uh, but in terms of the unusual patterns, you know, year to date, what we've seen is that global equity, uh, as measured by the FTSE All World Index, is up 11% in local currency terms. Uh, yet, despite that, you know, the 10-year government bond yield, as measured by the US, has drifted lower. So it started the year off at 2.45%, uh, and it's now roughly around 2.3%. And this is despite the Fed raising interest rate three times since December 2016. Now, on top of that, what we have seen is that gold prices year-to-date is up 11%. So there's been plenty going on in terms of what's been happening in the market and what investors have had to contend with, both on the economic and geopolitical front, as well as the fact that in terms of the market, there's been both a risk-on and a risk-off trade. Michael, just when you were talking about that gold price uh, appreciating at uh, about 11% this year, uh, is most of that just the U.S. dollar weakness that you're seeing? Mm. Yeah, so you, w- w- what we've seen, this unusual pattern of both risk-on and risk-off doing well, is that you know, what holds and pins it all together is the fact that interest rate over the long term remains very low. Uh, what essentially that says is that you know in, in the bond market just don't believe that the Fed are hawkish tones, and as a result, they think that interest rates are going to remain lower for longer. So therefore, you know, with a lower interest rate pol- um, kind of market, equity provides an in- there's an incentive to seek kind of better returns by equities. Uh, equities have also done well because of better economic and earnings growth. Uh, and U.S. dollar, as a result, has you know because of the low interest rates, have weakened uh, year to date so far. 
the, the U.S. dollar has also been weaker because of expectation about growth and monetary policy being weaker relative to other major regions. And as a result, gold prices have also pushed on up. Hey, Michael, let me ask you a question here. Jack and I are doing our own little empirical research. And, you know, at Canaccord, we have, you know, about five or six strategists that Jack and I can lean on. And uh, fortunately, each strategist actually has his own opinion, which, I, which Jack and I really respect. Uh, but, of course, we, we can't necessarily then get um, uh, consensus, which is fine as well. And don't necessarily want consensus because that could be very problematic, as we both know. Um, but so one of our strategists, uh, uh, Martin Roberge, he thinks that uh, the market, and specifically the Canadian market, is going to outperform the U.S. market between now and next spring, and oil is going to be a key factor in that. But come next spring, next summer, he thinks basically there's a good chance that okay, the bull market then peters out, and uh, we, got, we start to position ourselves for, a, I guess, the next bear market. Tony Dwyer, on the other hand, uh, with, again, talks of corporate tax cuts, uh, is getting more bullish. Uh, his, his call for next year was 2800 on the S&P 500, but if tax cuts go through, he's going to take that number up even further. Uh, how do you and Jukes feel about the situation? Do you, do you think this market gets extended, or is the bull market getting long in the tooth? I think, um, I mean, ultimately, uh, Wolfgang, um, you know, the key factors here, I mean, there, there's been so many f- factors that investors have to contend with, uh, both on the Fed tightening, North Korea valuation, economic growth. Mm-hmm. But the key, the key factors to consider here is that monetary policy, the interest rate remains very low, and secondly, that there's a coordinated global economic recovery going on at the moment. And so if you look at it, the key here is the U.S. economy and the Chinese economy. And the U.S. economy doesn't seem like it's, you know, it's going to go into recession. Uh, it's likely to continue to grow. And you know, recession in the U.S. tends to occur for three reasons. One, mainly, most of the time, it's because of Fed tightening too much. The second reason is when there's a First thing in terms of the credit bubble, and the third reason is oil price spiking high. Now, none of those reasons seem to kind of uh, present itself as being a risk factor here. If you look at interest rate and Fed tightening, I think the Fed are cautious despite you know the ongoing interest rate uh, hikes. Secondly, there doesn't seem to be a credit bubble. And thirdly, there doesn't seem to be an oil price that can spike to a level that causes a recession in the U.S. economy. And so ultimately, it's loose monetary policy and the coordinated global economic recovery that's going to drive the markets forward. We've seen some unusual patterns so far, but I think the equities will continue to, be, uh, continue to do well here. So basically what you're saying there, Michael, then, with the low interest rate environment that we're in, uh, asset correlations don't really matter because you have both the risk on and the risk off trade working at the same time, which is very unusual. Is that correct? Yes. So it's it's been unusual in that sense. Uh, It doesn't tend to hold over the medium term, I would stress. Uh, So we will likely to see increasing frequency of this kind of unusual pattern holding. But over the medium term, it's either risk on or risk off the trade that works. Fantastic. Uh, Michael Quatch, you're always a pleasure to have on our radio show. We're going to have to bring you back. I want to wish you a wonderful weekend in London. Be safe, be well, and may you prosper. Coming up next, folks, we're going to take a trip to Montreal and take a look at phases and cycles with Ron Meisels, the president and founder of that same company, right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. We can dance if we want to, we can leave your friends behind. 
Cause your friends don't dance And if they don't dance Well, they're no friends of mine See, we can go where we want to Places they will never find for the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. Yeah, good morning, Toronto. Good morning, Canada. Hi-Fi Radio, AM 640. Little Men Without Hats, 1983. Band from Montreal. Ron Mises is on the phone with us. Ron, I got a question for you. This is not market related. This is uh, youth related. So, were you on Saint Denis Street back in the '80s dancing to that song? Of course, of course. Oh, I mean, what do you think? <laughs> Men without hats. That's cool. I love it, Ron. Well, thank you for joining us on Hi-Fi Radio. Uh, you are a, a, a technical analyst. Uh, you have been for decades, and uh, you're very, very well known on the street. And it's a real privilege to have you on air. Hey, I just got a note here, by the way, Ron, in the town of Montreal. Facebook is opening its first artificial intelligence research lab, uh, and they chose Montreal to house the project. Maybe a smart guy like you could work with Facebook on some AI and, you know, automate this whole process of stock picking, let AI do it for us. Do you think AI could do your job for you, ultimately? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, auto, not, automatic stock picking doesn't work. Uh, only looking at chart works. Picture doesn't lie, I guess, eh? Picture doesn't lie. Earning, uh, you can you can fool around with your balance sheet, but uh, the, the if the chart goes up, if the price goes up, that means somebody's interested, and you get on the bandwagon, and you may just make money. Interesting. So you don't like accountants, is what you're telling us. I don't like what accountants? you don't like accountants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, so um, let's, let's start with uh, the U.S. dollar. I got some bespoke research right here in front of me. U.S. dollar has been complete headwind for Jack and I because half of our money is in the United States, U.S. stocks. Uh, you know, the Canadian market is really, it's, it's picked over as far as I'm concerned, and I, I want some breadth in my uh, holdings. If I want pharma stocks, if I want tech stocks, I can't find them here in Canada. I have to go to the United States. And, right. of course, uh, owning Amazon has been good, but uh, uh, the, the U.S. dollar falling about 8 9%. Uh, has certainly taken some of the wind out of my sails. Uh, it looks perhaps like got a bit of a bottom here. Uh, Canadian dollar uh, got below 80 cents uh, yesterday, so that's a good thing. Uh, what do you think? Are we seeing the bottom and turn now uh, in the U.S. dollar? We had a good run from about 73 cents to a little over 82 cents, uh, but uh, that was a big move, and it needs a correction. I wouldn't be surprised if we go back up towards 70, 78 cents uh, before we start uh, moving higher. So the first leg is to just to get a bit of correcting of, the, of this big move that we had in uh, the last uh, three months, four months. Mm-hmm. And then back to, so 78 cents sort is now the support for the Canadian dollar? That is correct. Yeah, and and and, and, and you, yeah. what do you think the top end? Do you think can it get to eighty five or sort of eighty two is the well upper range? again uh, that far looking for, that far ahead is difficult. But uh, let's get the correction. Let's get it through. Let's find if there is support. But uh, yeah, it's possible. It's possible because that's where we were in 19, 2015. So we could go back there. But the most important thing is that not to get too negative at this stage, but at the same time not to get too positive. You know. Uh, the the correction is 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 coming back for it, and uh, look for the seventy eight seventy nine and see what happens then. Mm-hmm. So Ron, uh, just to look at the equity markets here. We've got through the seasonally weak period of September. Uh, we're heading into October. Uh, what are your forecasts for the the month ahead? Very good September. Everybody was bearish. Everybody is negative. A lot of people are negative, and uh, uh, but we didn't hear the, the the fat lady sing. So that means that the bull market is still alive. 
the, the 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 fear of uh, of <clears throat> of October is usually comes up in September, which is usually the worst months of the year, not mm-hmm. October. Correct. October, where the thing ends. But the thing begins in September, and since September so far has been good in New York, we'll talk about Toronto in a minute, but since it was good in New York, I think we can have some negative because everybody is going to worry and sell in advance, but I see maybe 3%, 4% in the market, not enough to get in and out. You're just, uh, you're just uh, making headaches for yourself if you start to time the market that closely. For Toronto, uh, we had a very, very good run in Toronto. Went up from 15,000 to 15,007 at this stage where I am today. And a uh, little correction, we could come back to 15,400. But this was very, very good for Canada. The banks are starting to perk up. We have some couple of stocks that are looking very good in, in, in Toronto. And uh, you can, and getting towards the year end. So anyway, buying opportunities here for a number of stocks at this stage. What, what, are, you, what are you liking right here, Ron? I think uh, things like SNC Levelan is doing very well. It's on the verge of the breakout, uh, and uh, it's got up to 58. Getting towards 58 again, if it can break through 58, uh, we are going very, very nicely. There was a nice article in the paper. If you're interested in fundamentals about the fact of how much, <clears throat> excuse me, how much money they make on the 407 highway, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's also two other stocks that are very interesting. One of them, and both in the same area. One of them is Linamar, currently 75. It's a little bit extended, but it's very excellent. And the other one is Magna, which is uh, currently around 65 and also just had a major, major, major breakout in price. And that means that there are a lot of people very interested in that for, for, uh, for what they do. Obviously, we know what they do. All right, Ron, hang around, hang around. It would be a very, very good thing between around 63, 64 would be a beautiful place to get in. Yeah, Canadian on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Yeah. So, Ron, stay with us. I just got to pay some bills around here, and I want to get some more of your wisdom out to our listeners right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. of money hi-fi radio with wolfgang klein talk radio am 640 there you go stomp tom is the headliner for the show hi-fi radio good morning hello welcome jack hartle in the studio luke our producer extraordinaire lining up all the can con editors throw out a uh, thank you to dj lazy ray for helping me with today's music lineup and of course, Ron Meisel's live in Montreal is here to talk to us about the stock market. So just before the break, you spoke about a couple of automotive stocks, Magna included. Like to buy it back uh, in around sixty-three bucks. But uh, I, I, I gave you Stomp and Tom there for a reason um, because I want to talk to you about base metals for a second. Um, base metals have actually been performing reasonably well. Uh, you know, with this global synchronization for growth. Um, uh, what, what's your take? Do you buy individual names here or do you stick with an ETF approach, Ron? Uh, Jack and I own PIC. Uh, it's, it's the global uh, base metals uh, ETF. Uh, what are your thoughts? 
Uh, we are in what, when you count where we are in the market, we call it, we are in the fifth leg of the market, not in baseball terms, but in the terms of the market usually goes in five, five ways. So we're in the last up leg of the market, not at the end of it, but, but sort of in the middle of it. And this is historically the right time to be getting to material stocks. And so it is coming up. The gold, some of the gold stock are lower price gold stock, not not the high price, not the big big guys like Barrick and and Gold Corp, but the, some of the lower uh, smaller companies are doing very well, and some of the other ones, uh, for example, uh, 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 Norboard uh, has been booming booming away like crazy. Yeah, we own West we own West Fraser Timberjack and I. Yeah, West Fraser, uh, West Fraser is. Uh, WFT and that is looking very well. Have done very well. A little bit, ex- a little bit uh, ahead of itself at this stage, but it's a beautiful upturn. And of course, if you get it, as I'm sure you did, back at forty-five dollars and here at seventy more, you're a hero, right? Yeah, well, you know, hero to zero, I guess. Uh, wave five. I'm going to have to talk to you about this here. So you believe well, your your, your um, Elliott Wave work tells is telling us that we are in wave five and about halfway through wave five. Is that correct? That is what I'm saying. Okay, yes. and so when give us can you give us time when potentially could wave five end? The current estimate of our research suggests uh, end of first quarter, beginning of second quarter of next year. Is that the Montreal theme? I'll tell you why. Because uh, one of, one of our strategists, Martin Robert, you should get to know him one day. Go have a little petit déjeuner on him, on me. Send me the bill. Uh, yeah. He's a great, you know, he's a great guy. He's a great strategist. He's one of our asset allocators, and he, he's going to say the same thing. He thinks you know we get one more kick at the can, and probably by May of next year, you want to do some lightening up. But our American strategists think otherwise. We had one fellow in our office this afternoon, and he thinks his credit cycle is just ripping and roaring. Jack, describe to him a little bit about uh, Reynolds' uh, theory. Uh, uh, in terms of the credit cycle and where we are with all the uh, pension funds buying uh, and, and, and just the weight that they have on creating liquidity to the marketplace. Yeah, well, he was just saying the fact that they have 25% of global capital markets, global equity markets, and they, they're right now um, pension funds are basically providing the, the liquidity that we see to to buy back stocks and buy back shares that uh, you're seeing all these CEOs doing with their, their purchase plans. Correct. And, and and he thinks this could go on for another three to five years, Ron. And he thinks this really is the fuel for, for getting the market. It's not individuals he believes buying stocks, getting them higher, i.e. your Magni or Linamar. It's it's insiders using cheap money to buy back their own shares because, well, it's cheap. They and I would be, say it's the taxpayers that are actually funding the pensions to pay for these buybacks. Yeah. Yeah, so so how do, what do you think of that versus your Elliott Wave work? Well, uh, uh, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion. He's talking about something that is totally beyond my over my head. Uh, uh, this is I'm doing uh, technical analysis, mm-hmm. cycle analysis, and when you start talking about buying back stocks, uh, yeah, if the stock starts to act that way, well, sure, I, I'd love to get in. Yeah. So, so Ron, if just you want some, if you want some ideas in the material sector in New York, there's a stock called Myers Industry, which is in polymers for industrial agriculture and autos and tires. It is twenty-one dollars. It's go. It's uh, we have a target on it at least today at uh, about uh, tw- uh, in the mid-20s. What's the symbol uh, on that one? It is M-Y-E. M-Y-E, on New York. And in the other one that is really exciting here is Newmont Mining. It started a new up leg just uh, about a month ago, two months ago, and it is currently around $32. Symbol is N-E-M in New York. And uh, they're the world's largest gold mine, or and it is. It is uh, our current target is 42. The stock is at 37, but we have higher targets on it. It's a big company. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, you're a big guy, Ron, or Ron and you've got a big brain. So, uh, you know something? You may want to take a look at that Facebook office for some artificial intelligence. You just never know. You may have another leg of a career in there. But if not, you stay tuned to those charts because the charts, as they say, don't lie. Folks, thank you very kindly for tuning in to Hi-Fi Radio. That, again, was Ron Meisels, president of Phases and Cycles. You can always check out his website, phasesandcycles.com. Lots of good ideas and a very, very smart enterprise. I want to wish you a great weekend and of course I want to thank Jack Hartle for being here in the studio. DJ Lazy Ray for lining up the tunes and Zoom Optical for allowing me to see all of my notes that are spread out in front of me. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. For the podcast of today's show, go to 640Toronto.com. New shows every week. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.